What's going on, everybody? It's that time again. The All Sooners Podcast, episode 165 on this Thursday, December 15th, 2022. The Cheez-It Bowl is two weeks from today. We leave for Orlando in 11 days. How are you guys ready for this? We're getting out right as it's getting freezing, by the way. So as from a weather perspective, great timing. Yeah, not ideal for traveling, huh? Uh, no. Hoping, no. Hoping that the snow and the ice holds off long enough to get us all out of Oklahoma City. I'm actually driving over uh, to from Oklahoma, from Tulsa to Oklahoma City, flying out of Oklahoma City. So uh, that's going to be weird, get, leaving the house at 3 a.m. to be with you guys at 5 a.m. so we can catch a 5.30 flight out of Oklahoma City Yeah, and get to a bowl that nobody's going to attend. Uh, just being honest. Well, on the bright side, at least we'll have a hefty layover going there that we can all, uh, you know, one last time this year for old time's sake to uh, ha- have some travel memories as we are, are we spread out at the Houston airport. It's Houston one way, Austin the other way back for Josh and I. I don't know if you still have the same, if you have the same itinerary coming back as we do, boss. No, I think I'm going through Chicago or St. Louis maybe. Uh, on the way back, I'm flying back to Tulsa, obviously. So, right. Um, not the not the best travel itinerary. <laughs> Again, for a six and six team going to a minor bowl, but it is what it is. We'll be there. I am happy on the weather perspective because, like I said, I don't know if you guys have, have been scoping the forecast, but it's expected on Christmas Day to be like single digits. It's going to be freezing in Oklahoma by the time Christmas rolls around. So that's that Florida sunshine when we get off the plane will be. It'll be a nice little reprieve. Um, it, 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 at least, if it, the cheese it Bowl, all the things were the same, but it was also in Mobile, Alabama, or somewhere that's like really, really cold, at least we have something warm to, to look forward to. So that's coming up in uh, just a couple of weeks, uh, sneaking up on you. December's moving. I couldn't believe it. it Christmas in the Bowl kind of sneaks up on you. So we're coming up on that. Have a lot to get to on the show today. It's a packed show. Lots of transfer news. Brett McMurphy dropped some juicy SEC stuff potentially this week, things like that. But let's start the show. We were missed if we didn't begin talking about the passing of Mike Leach. Uh, remember him a little bit. Came out of nowhere this week. Um, you know, he had heart complications. Found that out. I think it was Sunday was when that was first kind of reported. He passed earlier this week. Um, uh, well, obviously, we'll lean on you, Hoop, here. You got to know him, uh, you know, over the years. But one of those guys just beloved. I mean, who doesn't like Mike Leach? I mean, over the college football icon is a fair way to put it. You know, I mean, he extremely highly thought of. Everybody likes Mike Leach. And it's it's just, it's it's sad. It's one of those sad things because he just, like I said, is so well-liked by everyone. Yeah, shocking, man. It's just absolutely shocking that we're going forward with in college football without Mike Leach. Like, he's been an icon since 2000, since 1999. If uh, you were in the SEC in 1997 and 98, like me, you've known that he what he was about since then. So it goes goes way back, and it's just like, where did this come from? Like, what in the world? Um, they said he had pneumonia during the season, and pneumonia can obviously affect your heart. And gosh, just literally heartbreaking. Um, who doesn't like Mike Leach? Craig James and his family, right? I mean, people <laughs> right. like that, right? Don't like Mike Leach. Uh, he was not the most highbrow. Um, approach to to anything, any conversation that he was ever in, but he was always honest, straight shooter. 
uh, unique perspective. He had a unique perspective on the entire universe. Like he would engage you in conversations about any topic and it didn't matter if it was college football or not college football. Uh, just a brilliant mind gone too soon at the age of 61. And guys, I said this, I guess in my, in my, my column that I wrote the next day that it was, uh, that was at all sooners. If you want to check it out, all sooners.com his contributions to the university of Oklahoma are so deep and so profound and so far reaching. Yes. He was the offensive coordinator for one year. Big deal, right? Anybody, Bob Stoops has had like seven offensive coordinators and, and anybody can call plays, right? He recruited and landed Josh Heupel, Nate Hibble, Jason White in one recruiting class. Now think about that. One yeah. guy wins the national championship. The other guy fills in and wins the uh, Rose Bowl. The other guy goes to two national championships and wins the Heisman. And it was that those seeds that were planted by Mike Leach's recruiting. And for Heupel, think about this. Stoops said just a few months ago, as I recall, it was Heupel who was the most prominent, most um, profound leader and player on that 2000 team. Without Mike Leach, there's no Josh Heupel. There's probably uh, Jason White probably comes, but who knows about Hibble? Um, Jason White, again, probably comes. Who knows what his offense looks like that he eventually plays in? It wouldn't have been what Mike Leach planted the seeds that he planted in, in 99 because they took that that one year and they, they dragged out as much as they could. They kept Mangino on staff, and Mangino used a lot of those same concepts. Uh, here comes Chuck Long. Chuck Long uses a lot of those same concepts. So just the think about that. That No Mike Leach, no Josh Heupel. No Josh Heupel, no national championship in 2000. Let's be honest. No national championship in 2000? Are we even talking about how long Bob Stoops has been here at this at this stage? You know what I'm saying? He's a great coach, yeah. but without that national championship in 2000, how long would he have stayed? Um, he really established, and he told me, Bob told me one time himself, yeah, that getting that second and that third national championship drives me. He told me that. So um, not getting that first one, would it would he have been as driven to stay as long as he did? Uh, and, and think about the buildings, the facilities, the, the fancy football facilities and the, the living quarters, the, the residential areas, the other academic buildings on campus that came from the boom that came from that 2000 national championship season. None of that stuff happens if Bob doesn't hire Mike Leach. It's just a phenomenal what if. Well, and it's not just the impact on the 99, 2000 and, and reviving Oklahoma football, putting this program back on the map uh, after, uh, you know, five or six down years. But then as Bob tails off and heads off into the sunset, I know he's not the popular guy anymore, but the success that Lincoln Riley brought, he's more of a Mike Leach coach as, as far as what, what he does and all that stuff than really a, a Bob Stoops coaching tree guy. You look at Alex Grinch, who came and revamped the defense for a time and probably doesn't get as much credit as he should for at least making it a unit that had an identity outside of just bad. That's a Mike Leach tree guy. Oh, still on staff today. You like that offensive line play, Bill Biedenboe. Shout out to, oh, Mike Leach. It's not just when you talk about the quotes and, and things like that. It's not just when you talk about what Texas Tech and those teams did to the Big 12 and then went and started to kind of try to do in the SEC West. But 
uh, th- that was the most impressive thing of that entire Mississippi State press release is when you look at it and you start pilfering through the coaching tree and it's like, okay, we know the Lincoln Riley, Cliff Kingsbury, Graham Harrell, oh, Dave Aranda, Alex Grant. It's not just air raid mastermind only produces offensive coaches, you know? And, and so that shows you, there was a story about how Mike Leach changed college practices of throwing on air so that wide receivers and quarterbacks can at the same time, everybody can get is maximizing reps, things like that. What, what Leach and mummy did there. So it, it, it's not just the, the sound bites and things like that, that we're all going to finally remember. Cause that's the easier stuff to exist on Twitter and YouTube and things like that. And, and that'll be the memory lane people walk down. But, but like who've said, it's, it's that initial foundation and Oklahoma went back to that. Well, uh, again, and was very successful with it. Ryan, real quick, that uh, that drill you're talking about where you've got four quarterbacks and everybody takes a snap and everybody throws to a receiver, you're quadrupling your your warm-ups, your, your prep work, your snaps, uh, all that stuff. Everybody's getting four times as much work as they would if you were just standing back there with one quarterback throwing to one receiver. Uh, that came from Mike Leach. It's a brilliant tactic to, to help your – I remember uh, when my daughter was playing soccer – They'd do penalty kicks. They'd line up before the game to play penalty kicks, and it'd be one person kicking the ball at one keeper. And I'm like, don't do that. Kick it something. Have two. Let's have three. Let's have all going at once, like uh, like Mike Leach does with the quarterbacks. Let's get everybody going at the same time. Uh, get a lot more reps and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, man, the, the, the depth of his footprint and his coaching tree – uh, he comes from a coaching tree. He comes from Lavelle Edwards. Lavelle Edwards' coaching tree is unbelievable. Check that out sometime. Uh, he comes from How Mummy, again, a guy who was his offensive genius, and he was the play caller at Kentucky when Bob hired him after getting the OU job. They com- they combined forces at Oklahoma for that one year. Bob looked around and said, as a defensive coordinator at Florida, who was my who was my nemesis? Who was the guy that gave me the most problems? Just look at the numbers. 16 points a game in 1997 is what Florida gave up. I think uh, Kentucky scored 28 or 31. It skips my memory right now. But 1998, the Gators won the national title, give up 11 points per game. You look at the scores, and there's Kentucky with 35. So Stoops looked at that and said, who's giving me the hardest time? Who's giving me the, the most problem? Who's getting in the end zone most against my amazing defense? It's it's uh, Mike Leach and the, and the Kentucky Wildcats. So. Smart move by Bob. That's how you want to evaluate it. Yeah, you know, on it, it almost feels like in some way, sometimes the personality and him being so likable and just hilarious and all those kind of things kind of sometimes overshadow how just yeah. good of a coach uh, he really was. I mean, he was about forty games over five hundred at Texas Tech. That's not that's not easy to do at all. And you know, people will kind of look at his resume and say he doesn't have any national championships or anything like that. Look where he coached. I mean, Texas Tech, Washington State, and Mississippi State, those aren't exactly blue bloods where it's just easy to win. He was above 500 at all those places by a comfortable margin. I mean, he made Washington State a national, you know, re- nationally relevant for a while there. They have not been since he left. You know, Mississippi State, he had them that first year. His, like, first game ever, they upset LSU's coming around that national championship. I mean, he's he's been a good coach for a long time, and it will be, like kind of uh, who said earlier, it'd be, it'd be weird, uh, college football without him. He's been a head coach for 20-plus years at a, at a few different spots. So it um, won't be quite the same without him, that's for sure. One of one, you know, all those kind of phrases are over overplayed, but it it's it's true with, with Mike Leach. And, you know, I never had the pleasure to meet him, but I always think for whatever – I don't know why this is like my number one 
thing that pops in my mind when I think of Mike Leach. I have no idea why. But when Oklahoma and Texas Tech played, obviously the jump around game, that was Texas Tech's best team, number two, and they came in. Oklahoma obviously beat them by a million points. I remember they come into halftime. It's 42-7 to is the score at halftime of that game. And Lisa Salters, it's crazy that they even interview Mike Leach <laughs> halftime in that spot because they're down 35 points on the road. And she interviews Mike Leach. And it's not even anything, it's not even that the words are, are funny or anything, but just his look and he's disheveled and just, he says, well, they never got settled down. They came out way too hyped and they just never got settled down. And like the way he says it is just like, that's so Mike Leach to me. That's like what I think of. Um, it'll be best. Uh, just so sad. Uh, one of the most likable guys ever. So hopefully, um, you know, that Mississippi State program, they're going to play in the bowl. Um, not that there was any real question of that. And they're playing in Raymond James Stadium, which has a big pirate ship in it. They're going to win by a thousand. Uh, but put the house on them to destroy Illinois in that bowl game uh, after the new year. It's on January 2nd, I think. So uh, rest in peace to Mike Leach. Condolences to his family, of course, and that whole uh, Mississippi State program. So we'll try and turn the page. Uh, obviously, that's a tough way to start, but good good de- trip down memory lane there for, for Coach Leach. Brett McMurphy had a big report this week that it sounds like there's gaining steam or momentum for potentially the Oklahoma-Texas SEC move to happen in 2024, a year early. That was always kind of the the thought was that it would be a year early in 2024, but then, you know, as things kind of un- unfolded and the Big 12 bringing these other teams in, and they continue to co- the, tow the company line. It kind of seemed like, okay, maybe – they actually will stay until 2025, especially considering that Oklahoma is not really, you feel like, in any rush right now with the way that they're playing on the field. But it sounds like there's more steam gained toward that, and maybe this will be the last year in the Big 12. We'll see how that shakes out. But interesting little uh, old breadcrumbs and tidbits this week. For me, the real indicator here is that Brett Yormark, the new Big 12 commissioner, told us in October that we're going to have the football schedule out for 2023 in early December, possibly November, possibly late November. So you guys turn your attention to scheduling and both late November and early December have come and gone. We haven't heard a whisper from the big 12. Now that might post it while we're sitting here talking, right? That usually happens, but that is to me an indicator that the big 12, which again, he, your Mark committed to, here's how we're going to schedule. You know, he didn't throw the schedule out there, but he said the new, the four new schools are all going to play everybody. They're going to play Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, they're going to have, they're going to host home games. They're going to, you know, everybody's going to play them. It's going to be a new, you know, everybody getting along. If they're only here for one year, is that model still in place? Because it, whether it's uh, Cincinnati or Houston or UCF or BYU, those guys are going to want those home games. They're going to want that home game with Texas. They're going to want that home game with Oklahoma. And if there's only if they're only here for one year, if they leave for the Big 12 in 2024, that screws up the Big 12's plans big time. So uh, I don't know what the – maybe that delay right now that, that Yormark promised us one thing and hasn't delivered by early December, maybe that's because he's having to pull that back and say, we, we need to redo this schedule, guys. We need to tr- try to get Texas and Oklahoma to – Orlando and Houston and as many other new yeah. schools as we can. Yeah, I I don't know if I'm supposed to say this as someone on the OUB, but frankly, the McMurphy report was a whole lot of nothing for me. We've known for 18 months that the issue here 
is that Fox has part of the Big 12 contract. And the second that Oklahoma and Texas go to the SEC, Fox will never broadcast an Oklahoma or Texas game again. And Fox doesn't want to give that up in 2024 for free. So basically, we've known the entire time that Fox and ESPN are going to have to trade inventory in 2024 or 2023 for Oklahoma and Texas to get out early, regardless of if they want to pay a buyout, anything like that. The only thing newsworthy out of the McMurphy report was that he said that it could come to a head within a month. So um, I, I know it happened and all that stuff, for, but for me, it's hard to get really... We've talked about this ad nauseum. It's, this is quite literally an issue of what can ESPN and Fox work out as far as trading goes to make that happen? Because your mark told us at Big 12 Media Days that they're open for business if it makes sense for the Big 12. OU and Texas are always going to say 2025 so that they, they've dotted all their I's and crossed their T's for the lawyers. I, this is just something that when the announcement comes, it'll come because ESPN and Fox have gotten together because they wouldn't be talking mm -hmm. if OU and Texas haven't said yeah, whatever the negotiated buyout is, we'll pay it. So it wouldn't be an issue. It'd be a non-starter. So for me, it's like, I I guess I'm appreciative that McMurphy got a month timeline for us to look out for, but it's a whole lot of nothing. And we're just waiting for the 2023 schedule to see if we're going to Cincinnati, Orlando, Provo, or Houston, because OU and Texas are going to take some road trips. Yeah, no, I, I agree too with, uh, with who's point of, is this – is this kind of conversation delaying that? Because we, we thought we definitely have the schedule for next year by now. So interesting. Uh, we're going to keep an eye on that. And yeah, will they actually make the move? Like I said earlier, I don't know why. I mean, obviously monetarily maybe, but Oklahoma, at least from a product on the field, I wouldn't be in any kind of rush. Uh, you want to give Brent Venable some time. Because yep. this last year, at the risk of doing a, a Skip Johnson OU baseball thing, but this last year's OU football team doesn't probably get to bowl eligibility if they're in the SEC. So. You know, not that I'm always going to continue to be that. They should improve even next year, but you know, more time probably the better uh, as far as a competitive standpoint. So we'll see how that uh, transpires. Certainly, something that, like Ryan said, we talked about a lot, and probably will continue to as uh, more little tidbits come out over the next months and uh, weeks and whatever else. So we're going to do a lot of transfer portal stuff in the next segment because there's a lot uh, has happened, guys coming and going and what have you. But want to get one big one here on this side. Austin Stogner is back at Oklahoma. This is crazy. Um, we kind of hinted at this last week. We teased about it because we had heard that this was a possibility. I think most people, whenever he announced he was going back in the portal, thought that this maybe could happen. So the bombshell wasn't as much the decision or the surprise, I should say. It's more just kind of how this all went. I mean, he he finishes last year or you know the twenty twenty one season. Go South Carolina with Spencer Rattler and Shane Beamer. And now he's back. Like, what a weird journey and path this is. And OU needs him. They need a tight end. So Stogner's going to play a big role in this team next year. What an unconventional – you don't see a lot of guys leave a program and through the portal and then come back a year later. That That's uh, very, very seldom. And uh, what a huge get this is for OU to bring him back. Yeah, I don't know that he's the first guy to do this. He might be. But it feels like he is. It feels like he's the first guy to go into the yeah. portal, go play a full season for another school, and then transfer back to his original school. I don't think we've seen that before. Uh, I haven't done the research and looked up how many guys could have possibly done that. I don't know. But it feels like Stog's the first. Big Stog back in Norman. Uh, and just in time, too, because Braden Willis is off to the NFL draft. 
Um, they need a they need a red zone target. They need a tight end to come in and, and play that position. And Stogner's more of a he's less of an inline blocker than Braden Willis is. If you look at Pro Football Focus numbers, Braden Willis uh, is the top run blocker in the University of Oklahoma roster. Right, he's not only the top run blocker; he's the top run block or the second number two ranked run blocking tight end in the country. Okay, so. To continue the kind of offense that that they're using the the form that they're using Willis in, Stogner needs to come in and, and really embrace that physicality. He's got the frame, he's got the the toughness, he's got the mindset, all that kind of stuff to go into an NFL team and be an inline blocker and be a traditional tight end. Uh, this is where that really starts to develop for him. He's got receiving skills. We know he can catch the football. We know he can make plays down the field. I want to see what he's going to do at the end of the line as a tight end. Yeah, it d- takes a ton of pressure off a guy like Caden Helms and Jason Lowell and those two to, to be really young guys to continue to step in. So hopefully you will see Stogner used with them in tandem so that they can start to develop and move along. I'll just be interested to see. Uh, the blocking is going to be something to watch, but frankly, I, I didn't watch every single South Carolina game start to finish this year, right? A, a lot of those um, just uh, you know head-to-head with Oklahoma games, stuff like that, but... What I did see, he didn't look as athletic or as dynamic like after the catch down the field. And so he's going to have to be a contested catch guy over the middle, which is something that wasn't always, he was not always on top of at Oklahoma, especially uh, in the early part of 2021. Uh, I remember TCU a bunch, him and Morig going at it over the middle. Morig won a lot of those contested catch battles because um, just a, a playmaking safety coming up. So that'll be for me interested to see, did he take that step at South Carolina, knowing that, that maybe it'll take another year for him to kind of regain a little bit of that athleticism after obviously that really scary stuff he went through uh, at Oklahoma, totally understandable for, for a guy like that to take a year to get some of that athleticism back just because I mean, dropping weight, having the sepsis, all that stuff. It's just a really, really scary ordeal that that's not a, normal thing to build any kind of rehab, you know, physical process out of. Yeah, a bit of an underwhelming season uh, this year over there in South Carolina. Just 20 catches for 210 yards, one touchdown. His best year is still statistically the 2020 season before he had that injury. Um, that was obviously, like Ryan said, a really scary situation. Now, granted, 2021, his numbers are all right. And obviously we remember and – I complained about it all the time. Oklahoma didn't use their tight ends nearly as much as I would have liked. And they also had a bunch, remember, because they had Jeremiah Hall and Braden Willis also. So that's going to affect your production. But obviously, his last game in Norman, or not Norman, but with Oklahoma was one of his better ones, Bedlam in 2021. He had the touchdown catch, had a few uh, big catches in that game. I don't know. It's it's a heck of a story, that's for sure. And I'm sure that'll be net, this uh, spring camp and by next fall camp, we're going to have a lot of. Uh, not just from us, but just the OU beat a lot of Stogner content is probably on the docket because uh, it's it's unique. I mean, he left and he's come back. It was important to him to come back. He, it, the whole thing strikes me as probably didn't really want to leave in the first place and maybe regretted it. And now he's back, you know. So we'll we'll hear from him obviously at some point. But what a what a weird dynamic. And like I said, Oklahoma needs yes. him. He's a tight end. What makes this even more another story angle that we're not going to get a chance to write because they're playing in the bowl game, but neither guy is playing in the bowl game. Jaheim Bell, yes, the guy that played in front of him for the most part, played ahead of him, caught more passes, was more dynamic and all that kind of stuff. He transferred 
He's going to Florida State. So you got Stogner, you got two tight ends from South Carolina transferring to the Chick Fil A, uh, the Chick Fil A, the uh, Cheez It Bowl. Basically, I wish it was the Chick Fil A Bowl. I wish it was. I was going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against our friends at Cheez It, but I That's would right. much give me something a little bit more filling with some protein as opposed to a snack on the side, and I'm content. Although we do eat Chick Fil A all season long in Norman, Oklahoma. That's true. How about the same? Yeah, I was assuming it was going to be fresh Chick Fil A at the Chick Fil A Bowl. That's yeah, nugs. That would have been better. Yeah, some catering, some of the big, the big uh, like metal tray things. You just take them out. We did have that for one press conference too. We have a lot of Chick Fil A over the course of the season. Um, there are worse places to have a lot of, but we had a lot of Chick Fil A over the course of the football season. I was taking time out. Like I said, there's a lot more transfer portal stuff. Oklahoma has been busy. Some. Uh, big, big additions, one in the transfer portal, one a re- recruiting commitment over the last week or so that we're going to talk about next, as well as some more guys entering the portal. Again, kind of hodgepodge. We'll, we'll talk about all that next up right here on the All Sooners Podcast. All right, you guys have heard me talk about this before. I'll talk about it again. Our friends at Trade Pros developed the All-Star Service Program for homeowners and business owners that demand the absolute best from their HVAC systems. Sign up now for the All-Star Service Agreement, 25 bucks a month, and the guys at Trade Pros are going to come out two times a year for routine maintenance. Plus, you get two pounds of Freon every year at no charge. And get this, if your heating or air unit needs work, it's not going to cost you anything if the repair is under $500. If it's more than $500, your cost comes in at just 25% of the Trade Pros price. Routine maintenance includes changing and cleaning the air filters, carbon monoxide check, thermostat check, safety switches, inspect pilot assembly, check fan motor, refrigerant check charts, all kinds of stuff. Listen, just call Trade Pros, 405-639-9991, or check out their website, tradeprosokc.com. On Twitter, you can follow all Sooners at all underscore Sooners. Ryan is at underscore Ryan Chapman. Who's at John E. Hoover? I'm at Josh M. Calloway. Our website is allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Segment two, our unofficial transfer portal segment of the last uh, few shows, because it's just always, always things going on that time of year. This was a big week for Oklahoma, though. They got two big guns here, one through the portal, like I said, one on the recruiting trail. A couple of brothers, the McCullough brothers. We'll talk about Desan first. Transferring in from Indiana. He's listed as a linebacker. Kind of, he's so big, you can almost morph him into whatever you want. But he's big and he's athletic. Desan McCullough is the name. If you're unfamiliar with him, he's just a freshman last year. He played one, you know, he's a 2022 uh, recruit, 21 recruit, I should say. Was the number nine rated edge in his class. And my biggest thing here would be don't be fooled by the fact that he was at Indiana. He had offers from literally everywhere, could have almost played anywhere he wanted. He went to the local place. He played high school football in Bloomington, so he went right down the road. But after one year where he was still productive as a true freshman in the Big Ten at Indiana, hits the portal, and Oklahoma cashes in and get what gets what was one of the most coveted guys in the transfer portal, period. Not, not just his position, offense, defense. One of the more coveted guys, this is a, a big win for Oklahoma and a big get to, to bring in Desan McCullough. Yeah, really big, and there's a number of reasons why it's really big. Uh, Ten games he played in last year as a true freshman, four starts. 
made 49 tackles. Those are nice numbers. Uh, six and a half tackles for loss, four quarterback sacks, three pass deflections. And need I remind you, he is a true freshman You're linebacker right. at Indiana. So uh, pretty impressive. He played against some Big Ten teams, and he had some success against some Big Ten teams. That's the kind of profile that Brent Venables has been recruiting to, you know, guys that want to play with uh, their heels on the ground, that kind of thing, uh, play physical, play uh, downhill. And Josh, you mentioned the schools that uh, that he chose Indiana or was recruited by before committing to Indiana: Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Florida, Florida State, LSU, Michigan, Notre Dame, Oregon, and Oklahoma. Not bad. Uh, he's yeah, he's the ideal. And then the other side of the coin is he comes as a package deal with his little brother, who was a is a four star and was committed to Cincinnati. Dave McCulloch. What a great deal for Oklahoma. You get one brother, you you bring in another one. That could be happening uh, in another part of the country. Let's call it state of Texas. Could be happening again where you get one guy and his little brother comes along. That would be uh, ideal. But yeah, this is it. Couldn't couldn't have worked out any better. This is two guys that are going to be ready made for Brent Venables football. Yeah, a lot of the times with the transfer portal discussion, it's two lanes. It's usually. Someone that's very experienced that has a ton of college production that you're looking at, you know, a year, maybe two, if they've got a COVID year, stuff like that. Or you're going down another line of someone that was really insanely highly rated at a high school first year or two, didn't really work out at their first stop. And so you're trying to say, we believe there's still that talent there. And there's a lot of coaching staff. So a lot of just coaches who they are at their core be like, but you get them under my system, get them in the meeting rooms and I'll be able to to get it out of them. Uh, McCullough's neither of those, right? He's very young and he has production. He's one of the top portal guys, especially at a non-quarterback position. Those are rare to have those kind of guys that can come in and say, you're going to get three, four years out of them max if they stay the whole time. Also have that production. You're not just betting on, hey, the evaluation out of high school. So that's incredibly impactful. And also, if he comes in, he looks like a guy ready-made to play Cheetah. Suddenly you're talking about, okay, you've you've replaced Deshaun White, and then Stutzman and Aguebu, if those guys are back, you're assuming that Jaron Kanick can t- step up and, and with another offseason get more snaps. Kobe McKenzie and Kip Lewis will no longer be kind of limited by the redshirt rule, stuff like that. All of a sudden you go from three possible guys to best-case scenario – Magically, there's a rotation at linebacker with six people and, and guys aren't having to die in the fourth quarter because they've played 100% of the snaps. I think that's what a ton of Oklahoma fans would be stoked to see, especially because it's unclear if you're going to get improved defensive line play just with the, the guys that are currently there. It's pretty much the same crop minus Redmond and Jeffrey Johnson, and Redmond was your highest ceiling talent guy. 49 total tackles, six and a half tackles for a loss, four sacks in the Big Ten as a true freshman. I mean, he's the same recruiting class as – you know, Kobe McKenzie, Kip, these guys, Kip Lewis from Oklahoma, who obviously, like Brent Venables said over the course of the year, he didn't feel comfortable putting in the game. Um, that's He's the same class as those guys. And this is an immediate impact with several years of eligibility still left. And, I mean, yeah, it goes without saying. This is a, a huge get for Oklahoma for a lot of reasons. And, yeah, some depth would be served. And I this guy's going to start, in, in, you know, in my opinion, uh, next year for Oklahoma. This is a very – very good get and will be a starter again for multiple seasons, yeah. maybe just two if he goes pro early, but at least two and likely more. I mean, that, that that's cash money. You take that every time. 
And there's a little bit of a learning curve he's going to have to pick up. You know, Danny Stutzman didn't come in and start right away. He, you know, he took a he got better in his second season. But yeah. I want to go back to what Ryan mentioned. The snap counts for the linebackers is you look at the Pro Football Focus numbers; they are off the charts. Nine hundred and twenty this year led the team for Danny Stutzman. 882 for Deshaun White, ranked second. 874 for David Aguebu, ranked third. Only one other guy had more than 612 snaps, and that was Woody Washington at 830. Everybody else on the defense was down in the 600s and the 500s and the 400s and the 300s. Think about that. Your two linebackers yeah. are at 920, 882, and 874. Off the charts. So they absolutely have to build that linebacker depth. Hundred percent, and I, you know, that plays a huge part in the tackling being so shoddy late in the games. Yeah. Is they're they're tired. Everybody made fun of, and rightfully so. You know, Danny Stutzman getting ran over by Garrett Green in Morgantown. Guy was wiped by that point in the game. He was absolutely wiped. So we'll see if that gets improved next year. Off to a good start uh, there, getting to Saul McCullough, and then like who said, you're bringing his younger brother Dave McCullough, who is a senior in high school right now. He's been a Cincinnati commit for uh, I think since like June or so. He flips Oklahoma. He's a four-star kid, safety, number three kit player in the state of Indiana, about a top 30-ish safety, depending on where you look. Got another guy with lots of offers from South Bend there in Indiana, where he plays his high school football. Joins a defensive backfield. You already have Macari Vickers committed. So now you have two high-end safety commits. I looked at where he falls in the class. He's right about the middle. I think they have 23 commits. He's like the 12th rated as far as his composite score. So he's a good get. He's better than half your class right now, at least in terms of his score. I mean, you get two for one deal here. What a what a cash situation for Oklahoma. Like who said they were both in on a visit. They both got to meet Venables and take a tour of Norman, all that, and you you get them both. I mean, that that's a productive weekend. You get the feeling uh, Brent Venables is is um, putting his putting his thumbprint kind of on what the, what he wants his team to look like through the recruits he signed through the you know guys like Jaron Canick that he brought being committed to Clemson. Uh, all the guys that have joined the team to this point, um, you get the feeling that uh, this is quickly becoming a Brent Venables team? Oh, for sure. And especially when the other thing too, something that we just didn't have to account for with the Alex Grinch defense is when Oklahoma went to the, everybody take a drink, when Oklahoma went to the three-man front at times this year, much to everyone's chagrin, it was to bring another safety on, right? And that's why you saw a bunch of guys initially. Then it just kind of became uh, Trey Morrison, Key Lawrence, Billy Bowman, Justin Broyles, Damon Harmon, that rotation based off who was healthy. So um, if you're able to bring in another highly touted safety that's looming out there in the ether that also has a younger brother, uh, as well as Dave McCola and those guys, then you're, you're building a lot more depth at safety quickly than really we saw at all under Alex Grinch because under Alex Grinch we only saw two guys play safety unless there was an injury yeah so as far as guys leaving Oklahoma did have a few more um kind of again like we were talking about last week more hodgepodge guys the most notable certainly is Kevonte Henry who has been kind of it's been kind of known that he's been gone for a while but he officially announced you know he put on social media or whatever that he's entering the portal just a freshman four-star edge from California he's one of those guys in Brent Venables' recruiting class that he just threw together. Um, they've had a few of them leave. Uh, to Henry's in that group, um, so we'll see how where he winds up. The other two, Jackson Sumlin, of course, the son of Kevin Sumlin, never really made much of an impact. And then uh, Trevon West, who always kind of had his his moments, I guess, here and there, occasionally. Bedlam last year or 2021, you kind of uh, 
He popped up a couple times, but kind of more of the same, though, as far as these guys leaving Oklahoma. Outside of, again, Theo Weiss, you, you haven't had anybody who you, you lose and you say, oh, boy, that, that hurts. I mean, it, for the most part, it's been guys who just did, either didn't make an impact. And again, we don't really know about Kevontae Henry. He's so young, but Sumlin and West certainly fall in that same category of you're not you're not losing a whole lot, not to disparage them as players or anything, but they weren't impacting the current team that much. So this, this comes down to uh, the transfer portal being open, you know, guys looking around, surveying the landscape and realizing I probably can have opportunities to play somewhere else, or I did, don't feel like I was treated fairly here. I didn't get a shot, yeah. that kind of thing. But I think for the most part, this comes down to Brent Venables looking around saying, Coach Riley recruited you. Coach Grinch recruited you. We appreciate what you've done for us. But the fact of the matter is I'm going after other guys. I'm going after another style of player or another type of player. Uh, maybe they didn't buy in, so to speak, like uh, like a lot of coaches wanted them to. Uh, maybe they didn't fit the system because they were recruited to a different system. Whatever it is, I get the feeling that every one of these, every one of these guys is leaving with Brent Venable's blessing. Yeah, and look, Brent Venables, he, he talked about it, you know, a couple Sundays ago in his Cheez It Bowl press conference, where outside of Theo Weiss, he basically was like, You lost a bunch of scout team depth. And so that's something that they're going to shuffle it through and turn it over. Um, they, they got what they wanted, the Oklahoma coaching staff did, as far as those guys stuck around and either signed on late in the signing period in the instance of, you know, Henry, Tarbergos, like that, or. Uh, you know, Mukes, Bryce Washington, Trey West, those guys, they stayed a year and they tried it out with the new coaching staff that they, they went through the whole process. And at the end of the year, whether it be fit, like you said, Hoover, just taking a honest look around at the depth chart and saying, you're going to be in basically the same spot next year. We've got really talented guys coming in at your position. If you want to play, maybe taking a a step down a level and not going to Oklahoma is yeah. the spot to be. Cause I'll be interested to see the track. Like, okay, so Theo East goes to Missouri. Evers is going to have, he just took the Wisconsin visit. He's going to have a market, but for a lot of these other guys, low, low, low power five. If that I'll be interested to see where they all land. Cause it feels like it's going to be a Oklahoma is helping stock a, a lower level of college football with, with some guys. Did, uh, what do we know about DJ Graham? Heard nothing other than yeah. playing receiver now, right? Moving a wide receiver, but it yeah. wasn't urgent enough for him to really uh, dress out or get a, a new number. Excuse me, not necessarily dress out, but get a new number so that he could be eligible to, to play the rest of the year. So uh, in, interesting to see it, since he hasn't hit the portal, wh whatever those conversations are, he either really loves Oklahoma or truly feels like he'll get a chance to compete at wide receiver. So uh, the um Number of in terms of just guys who have contributed in the number of snaps, the portal is going to be open till I think January around twentieth, whatever that whatever that date falls in. It's forty five days from the end of the um, from yeah. the uh, end of the conference championship games. So uh, you got forty five days, so it's around that middle of January area. Um, as of right now, the guy who has transferred, who has the most snaps on the team, is Josh Ellison, one hundred and forty one snaps. So. Uh, a lot of guys have transferred who don't ha haven't played anywhere close to that number of snaps. So that's just something yeah. to think about um, the 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 way the way Venables kind of phrased it. Um, guys who he said haven't had an impact in any way 
on you know the depth chart, but that's uh, that's just something to uh, consider. I'm looking at the offensive numbers. Uh, the guy with the most snaps who is in the transfer portal. I'm going down the list. Outside of Weiss. Yeah, outside of Weiss. Um, did Nate Anderson transfer? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, we're down into 30, 30 snaps now. 20, 30, 40 snaps. So Probably, yeah. I, Darby unless West. I miss somebody. Uh, unless I miss somebody on this list. Um, you're, you're talking about a bunch of offensive guys who really didn't contribute much at all this season. Yeah, no, and, you know, just from the human side, you, you worry about, I mean, just statistically, just the odds, most of these guys are not going to wind up maybe even anywhere. I mean, the, we talked about that uh, either last show or the one before that. A lot of these guys who hit the portal, a, a good chunk just go into the ether. They just disappear into the wind. They don't actually even end up anywhere else. So, um you feel like that's probably going to happen for some of these guys. I mean, when you when you enter the portal and you never really put much tape out there, it's going to be hard to have a market for yourself. And like who just said, most of these guys, at least offensively, didn't ever even have snaps. So we'll see. Um, we'll also keep an eye on where all these guys land. The one we do know, Ryan referenced it, Theo Weiss goes to Missouri. What do we think of that? Is that – because obviously the, the natural reaction from fans is, why leave being an option Oklahoma to go be at Missouri and be who knows what he'll be there. Say he's their number two. I don't know. They have Luther Bird and some other guys. Is that better than than just sticking out Oklahoma and finishing your career and being in the mix with Jaleel Farouk? And we don't know about Marvin Mims coming or going yet. There's been some whispers that he might be coming back, which would be kind of a surprise. But even if he does, you're the number three option, I guess, potentially. I mean, is that worse than going to Missouri? And being whatever he'll be there, uh, I don't, you know what I mean. It, it's it's hard to hard to say, I guess. It is extremely hard to say. Is it better? Yeah, <laughs> maybe. You know, Missouri's a kind of a middling program in the SEC. Obviously, right now they right. are. Um, the question I would have for Theo is: take a look at the NFL draft for the last four four to eight years, right? And look how many cornerbacks were drafted from the SEC compared to how many corner corners were drafted out of the big 12. It's not even close. You're going to yeah. be going up against first round guys, second round guys. Now that could help him. Okay. And that it's going to raise his game. It's going to elevate his level of play. It should, it has to, but at the same time, it could hurt him because if he's not getting separation in the big 12, historically the last three years, if he's not able to, to separate cleanly and get himself in a position to catch the football, in the Big 12, he thinks he's going to do that in the SEC. He's got a lot of lot of game yet to work on to to improve his game to be that guy. I think his biggest thing was just going somewhere where it sounds like he's been promised they'll throw him the ball because you saw at Oklahoma this year after the Texas game, which was an obviously wonky offensive game plan because of the fact that Oklahoma was deploying Davis Bevel at wide receiver for the most part yeah. of that game. But after that, he lost his job to Drake Stoops. Oklahoma ran Mims, Stoops, Farouk a ton, and Theo Weiss was basically a non-factor until headed to Lubbock. So I think, yes, if you're playing better defenses or better corners, that's fine. But for him, I think for Theo, it was someone that, remember, he had entered the portal last year anyway before, before coming back in with the coaching change. 
stuck it out a year. I, it just, for me, doesn't feel like he was someone that was super high on Jeff Libby's priority list as far as getting the ball to him, especially if a Marvin Mims comes back, then you're already, boom, number three on the pecking order regardless at Oklahoma, and that's without, hey, if Javante Barnes comes on strong next year, okay, now you're the fourth option behind the running game, swing passes, and Mims and Farouk, stuff like that. I think this is probably a uh, change of scenery volume play for, for Theo Weiss. Yeah, you're probably right. And real quick, guys, I'll, I'll revisit the snap counts. I told you the offense and the defense. Special teams, Trayvon West was uh, fifth on the team with 165 snaps. So you you're go. losing Trey West. Uh, you jump all the way down to uh, – where'd he go? Bray Walker is next at 69 snaps. He's the other guy in the transfer portal off the special team. So um, I think they're going to be okay with the guys they're losing in the transfer portal. I do too, um, and we'll let you know wherever wherever these other guys land. I think I saw Cedric Roberts got like an offer from Campbell, and it's like, yeah, that that sounds about right. I mean, as the far camels? as like, the Campbell Camels, like that that kind of gives you an idea of the market. Like a lot, all these guys, none of these guys are getting scooped up by Bama. <laughs> Put it that way, um, and so we'll, we'll find out where they end up. But uh, I think it it'll almost be eye opening in a way, maybe for. I don't know fans. I'm sure most fans probably get it, but maybe around the Big 12, around you know college football fandom of, man, all these guys who left Oklahoma ended up at G5 or not even FBS programs. That'll be a little eye-opening to what the roster, the state of the roster actually kind of was this year. Um, Oklahoma needs to do this, like we said. They need they need the turnover. So, And uh, that's, that's underway. Lots of guys in the portal, but very little in terms of loss of production like we were just talking about. All right, so another timeout. Come back. Got some NFL stuff to get to. Mamble, it's been a full week, but we got to dive into Baker a little bit. The insanity. I'm sure who's going to take his victory lap as well. <laughs> and we'll talk about a little bit of basketball as well on the way out. That's coming up in the final segment. Next up right here on the All Sinners Podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast, episode 165 on this Thursday, December 15th. Just 10 days till Christmas. Cheese a bowl in two weeks. Got some last few things here. We'll send you on your way into your December weekend, first weekend of the bowl season. Very excited. I will say, starting tonight, Thursday night football, 19 straight days of football, either NFL or college football bowl season. So <laughs> cherish this time, soak it in, embrace it, because when it's over, football becomes scarce in this country. So enjoy it while we have it. It starts tonight, 19 straight days. Can I introduce yeah. you to my friend, the United States Football League? That's very, very true. It's not until, like, February. Oh, no, no, no. They don't start till like, April. XFL, though, is in February. Somebody, yeah. yeah, somebody starts right after the Super Bowl. The XFL yeah. does, yeah. They have they have different approaches to their spring football. XFL says right away, USFL tries to wait a little bit before, which 
Sounds like a good idea, but also last year they were going against like March Madness or NBA playoffs like every weekend of their entire season. And I think that was probably pretty ill-advised. So we'll see. See how it goes this time around. But you're right. Do have XFL to look forward to. Old Bob Stoops. See what he can do with the Arlington Renegades. I don't think we're going to be getting down covering any of those games, but who knows? Maybe time. Get you guys a credential if you want one. At Globe Life? Are they still play yeah. at Globe Life? Is that still the plan? Uh, no, they play across the street at uh, Choctaw Park, Choctaw Casino Park. Yeah, the old stadium, the old baseball the stadium. The old baseball stadium, yeah. Okay, so they are still playing at, at Globe Life Park. Globe Life Field's the new one, which okay. is confusing. But yeah, there you Choctaw, have it. Hey, all in the now. same spot. But this is what will happen. We'll Josh and I will go eat at Texas Live, watch the game on TV, then we'll roll in and see if Bob <laughs> has anything to say. <laughs> if you go to the right stadium. Correct. We'll find it. We'll find it. Just just go in that area. It's where everything everything's in the same area there. You just drive around, you'll you'll find it eventually. Um, that's for sure. So that's coming up. But yeah, 19 straight days of football starting tonight. Soak it in, cherish it, because it'll be gone before you know it. So do want to talk about a little bit of NFL. Uh two opposites of the spectrum here with our Oklahoma quarterbacks. Let's start with the good. Baker Mayfield. It's been a week, but we gotta get it in. We gotta let Hoove take his victory lap. Unbelievable. We talked about it last week. It was insane to me, at least, I'm sure to most people, that they were going to potentially have picked up Baker and then play him, start him, two days later on Thursday Night Football. Now, they didn't start him, but after one series, he played the rest of the game. It was okay. It was it, it, it was all right. It was, you know, all things considered, it was okay. But the last two drives, out of nowhere, <laughs> game-winning 98-yard touchdown drive to beat Ryan's Raiders. Both of you guys, what were the emotions? watching this unfold i could not have been happier i have <laughs> never been so excited for a regular season game in my house i went went in i went left my bedroom the the girls were watching something in the living room i, I left the bedroom when the game was over i walked in and i did the primal flex right in front of them yeah, it was so cool uh they were just like what the hell i was like what have you not been paying attention to anything coming out of the bedroom i've been cussing the refs i've been dog cussing the raiders uh, hey, Baker Mayfield, we're like, because of what we do and our objectivity and, you know, we're supposed to be objective and, and cover this thing, uh, teams, players, whatnot. I've always gotten along with Baker. I've always liked him. I went to a wedding last year. He was there. He's like, hey, what's up? Bubba? You know, one of those. So Baker's always been kind of my favorite OU quarterback to cover, right? Just because of his personality. Now that he's with my team, I'm like, Team Bake, baby. Team Bake, let's go. Let's Because yeah, I can do that now. I'm a Rams fan. You guys yeah. can tell from uh, the stuff behind me. Uh, lifelong Rams fan. And I am fired up that he was our quarterback. And now I'm fired up that they've named him the starter for the final four games. Because 22 of 35 for 230 yards and the 98-yard touchdown drive. I told you last week, Ryan. I told you we were going to get you. Well, I... There was no real pushback. Only the Raiders could be the team to go and lose to Jeff Saturday, who's just a freaking <laughs> buffoon, and then win three straight games so that the Raiders now have no shot at an actual like premium top five pick just to lose to the guy who got off the bus 48 hours ago. Like That's just peak Raiders football. Um, it, it was very reminiscent, seriously, though, of – not saying this is going to like spark Baker and the Rams offense or anything, but it felt like the 2015 Tennessee game of the offense was kind of just stuck in neutral for three exactly. quarters. And then the last two drives of the game, it's like boom, 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 right down the field, right down the field. Uh, it Tennessee, it was aided a little bit by 
I think it was a face mask or a roughing the passer that that really helped the first touchdown drive of the fourth quarter get going. Uh, against the Raiders, it was the not one but two penalties on a fourth and two punt that was, again, just peak Raiders football. If you don't like that, yeah. you don't like the Raiders. Then uh, And then that last drive, uh, both in uh, Knoxville and, and then in uh, on Thursday, it was just boom, 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 straight down the field. And thankfully for Baker and the Rams, the Raiders are so bad, they didn't need overtime to do it because uh, that, that's what they needed against Tennessee. But it was fun to watch, I guess, if you're you know Baker fan. It was a bad NFL football game, so if you're a football fan, I'm not sure. If we didn't have like the Baker storyline, it would have just been a bad yeah. game where, in the end, the Raiders capitulated. They wore the broadcast team wore that storyline out, didn't they? Baker just got off the bus 48 hours ago. He didn't even practice. All he did was throw 20 passes. He studied it on the on the airplane. Studied the game. Yes, we know. We we heard it the first three and a half quarters. It, but then he goes out and does the end of the game like he did, and you're like, damn, because just doing what he did was an- impressive enough. Coming off the bench, second drive, completing a few passes here and there. I think he had three completions in, in the first – was it the first half? I think he had six in the first half. And then he just goes nuts in the fourth quarter. Ryan, you're 100% right. Tennessee, I was in the – I was in the stadium. I was in the press box in Knoxville, Tennessee in 2015. That's exactly what it reminded me of. He just came to life. He just was like, screw this. Whatever your game plan is, whatever the defense is doing, I don't care. I'm throwing to this guy. I'm throwing to this guy. He just was – it was like he, he – you know, you think too much and you you overanalyze and you paralyze, right? And, and that's what he's been doing a little bit. Just throw caution to the wind, play football, and he did that, and it was freaking brilliant to watch. Reminded me a lot too of of um, his first action with the Browns, which was also Thursday night football. Yep. Came off the bench, and the Browns rallied to beat the Jets, and that was the taking off point for his his career. Basically, obviously injuries. We all know what happened at the end of his Browns tenure. Rough go in Carolina, which we all called at the time. That's not going to work. The Panthers have a terrible roster. Coach going to get fired. All that stuff. Comes to the Rams, and here we go again. Thursday night football. And I, it feels like a taking off point again. It does. It feels like his his career got a shot in the arm. Um, it's been rejuvenated, and maybe he maybe it means nothing. Maybe he plays poorly, and it's whatever. But it feels like there's a there's potential here for him to finish this season strong, and then there's a market for him again. Whether that's the Rams to keep him mm-hmm. if Matt Stafford is, I don't know where his health is, or another team talks themselves into taking a shot on him. I don't know. So we'll we'll see. It was really cool though. And then after the game. Him saying that he already booked his flight to California before they had claimed him. Yep. That is so Baker Mayfield. Like, my God, only him, only him would do something like that. <laughs> Rams didn't have Aaron Donald, the best defensive player in the NFL. So their defense was diminished. Their offensive line might be the worst offensive line in all of pro football. Uh, the receivers are a bunch of tiny guys, and some of them aren't that fast. Two, two the, receivers are te- the receivers are a joke. The running back, Cam Akers, got a big heart, but he might be the least talented starting running back of all 32. How did Baker do that with that group of guys? This is your yeah. Super Bowl champion. You've got uh, Cooper Cup is out. Got some other starters that are out. Offensive line has been reshuffled, I think, where they play 13 games. They've got 12 different starting offensive line lineups. It's unbelievable what he did. And that was – don't make any mistake about it. I know it was the Raiders. The Raiders contributed – but that was Baker Mayfield's shining moment, man. That was stunning to watch. 
It's about to say you clearly haven't watched enough Josh McDaniels, yeah. Patrick Graham. I, this is the same team that gave up a twenty to nothing lead to a terrible Cardinals team, a seventeen nothing lead to a really bad Jacksonville. Like this is not. A, let's not hold this up for anything other than what it was. <laughs> the Raiders played about as conservative as you could from the second from the car interception the second quarter on. The Rams were not interested in playing a football game outside of Baker Mayfield, and then at the start of the fourth quarter, they looked up. They're like, "Well, it's just two possessions. Let's see what we can do here." Baker comes alive. Good for Baker. They've got the number four pass defense in the NFL and the Packers this week, and it's going to be ugly. Yeah, maybe. Hope not. Also, also very Baker to after the game acknowledge that he tried to get Van Jefferson to come to Oklahoma, and then Van <laughs> Jefferson ghosted him. Basically, that was very Baker as well. He. He's the same. He, he's he's the same guy, and uh, cool to see him have that moment. He admitted after the game was a, as fun of a win as he's had in his whole career, which is just cool. He just needed that. He's had a hard couple of years, so we'll see what he does. Like Ryan said, Monday Night Football next week, so he gets in prime time again against the Packers, against Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau. It's supposed to be like five there or whatever. So uh, good luck to the to the Rams in that one. We'll see what he can do for an encore. Other end of the spectrum, though, unfortunately, Kyler Murray. Cardinals have had a rough year. Cliff Kingsbury feels like he's firmly on the hot seat. Play the Patriots on Monday night. Third play of the game. Goes down with a knee injury. Confirmed the next day. Torn ACL. Obviously, this sucks for you know just obvious reasons. But then also you think about the fact that it happens so late, you worry about next year. Well, is, is he going to be ready for next season? The saving grace here, if there is one, is that he got paid already. He got his contract. It's not like on a contract year. He did get the big extension. So that's something that you can at least be glad that that happened, but huge bummer, uh, obviously massive bummer. Yeah, um, his his situation it was it reminded me when he rolled out and then and it just immediately went down. It wasn't even a big vicious cut. It wasn't anything like you oh. know, spicy or anything. It was just a, I'm going to move this way now, and to see him go down, man, my my brain flashed back to was it 2002, Jason White. Against uh, God was it? Who did? Now my brain is is stopped working. Was it Nebraska? Was it no? It was Texas? Was it Texas? I can't remember. Help me out, Sooner Nation. Uh, I'm just skipping out on my memory here. Jason White's first knee injury. What's that? (laughs) So you've been to too many games. They're all they're all. I've been to too many games, thousands of games. Uh, But yeah, just the the rolling out, looking for an angle, looking for a running lane, and you just kind of duck it up in there, and all of a sudden you're done. That's exactly what happened to Jason White. It was like golly. It made you wonder about Kyler because high school, college, NFL, first four years, he's never been hurt. So to see him you know, despondent like that, to see him riding off the field with a towel on his head, uh, is really kind of heartbreaking for him because, it, again, he's, he's never had to go through any of that. So um, he's, he's always dominated the sport. He's always been kind of bigger than the sport, just his skill set. Uh, I wonder – how much he applies himself to his rehab because that's a hundred percent of how you come back. You get a successful surgery and then you get a successful rehab. And if you attack the, the rehab with the kind of um, maybe strength and mentality and, and focus that he has attacked his whole career with, he'll be, he'll be fine. He'll be right as rain. But at some point, if you don't and you let that thing linger and you don't rehab as hard or, or as strong as you should, uh, his game, which is a runaround game, a lot of movement, it's going to be diminished a little bit. And I hope he, uh, I hope he attacks his rehab. 
Yeah, first major, major injury. He's still not made it. Like, he's played 16 games a couple of times, but he's been hurt every year with the Cardinals. And this puts the Cardinals at a really weird crossroads. This past offseason, they obviously extended Kyler, but also extended Cliff, extended Steve Keim, the mm-hmm. GM. So that's your quarterback, GM, head coach. Now, Arizona's had the announcement that Kime's having to take a, a leave of absence for, for medical issues. So hope that's all good. But Kime sucks as a GM. That roster is a joke outside of just Kyler Murray and trying to put a bunch of wide receivers around him and then going hunting for like a J.J. Watt. So suddenly the Cardinals right now, I think they're the sixth overall pick if the season ended today. That's not going to get any better with Colt McCoy playing the, the rest of the year as far as like them getting out of the yeah. top 10 or anything like that. So It'll be interesting to see what the, the Cardinals do, especially if Kyler isn't ready to go for the from the jump next year because of the timing of this injury. They might be in the tank for two years. And this team, I I had I had picked them to lose to the Patriots anyway, even with Kyler. So it's not like suddenly this year was a bad year because Kyler got hurt. It was a bad year before that. There's huge problems. Cliff doesn't need to be brought back. Kime doesn't need to be brought back. But that's a different situation. But uh, I've got no faith right now in the direction of the Cardinals, Kyler healthy or not. And so that's all playing the background of what happens at the start of next year, because it might be another year in the tank if, if Kyler takes till week eight or nine to be healthier or just whatever that timeline looks like. We don't know that just because all the ACL injuries are different. You, you know, that, that's what everything who've went through is correct. But they also say the, off the top that each tear is different. And once they get in there, a lot of times you don't know exactly if it's going to be one of the shorter ACL injuries or one of the ones that everyone talks about needing an extra year to even not just play, but feel good about your knee again. Alabama. So he tore his, uh, Jason White tore his first ACL <laughs> against Alabama in 2002. Yeah. Wait, is that right? Alabama in 2002. Now, now I'm second guessing my, my own guessing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll call it good. We'll call it good. I'm sure somebody he got hurt in 2001 too, didn't he? He got hurt a I lot. Think he he won the in 03. I think he was never not hurt, I think is yeah. the He was exceptional. Jason was exceptional at moving moving around with the football right. and running and, the ball. Until his knees were just gone, unfortunately. Yeah. They turned the glass. It really it's it's I don't know well, if that, Alabama was his second. Nebraska was his first. That's right. So I was right the there first time, Nebraska. It, it's it's uh, like ironic in a dark sense that what's like the thing that we talk about with Kyler Murray all the time that he gets so much credit for is never taking hits. He's he's amazing at sliding, avoiding hits. The entire season OU is his one year starter. He like never got hit once. It felt like, and of course, this big injury happens in a non-contact situation. Like it, it's one of those things. It's just a freak thing. There's nothing. He's made that cut. Thousands and thousands of times, you know, in his his playing career, and that that one time it it got him, and you know, it also stinks from the perspective of we assume we don't know for a fact it hasn't been officially announced, but we assume that he's going to have a Heisman uh, Trophy ceremony, a statue ceremony, I should say, at the spring game this year, and it, it stinks that he's going to maybe having to be crutching around and stuff. I, mean, I don't know, I'm not a doctor, I don't know the the six months after the injury if you're still on crutches or what. I, I'd have no idea, but. The nope, fact that he will be, be hobbled right. is a bummer. Yeah, he'll be all right. Come April, we're presuming the spring game is going to be in April, and Kyler's uh, not the pedestal, but the, uh, the the platform, the the foundation is in the ground right now. They know exactly where that where it's going to go. So, yeah, um, assuming it's in April for the spring game, he should be. That's uh, 
four and a half months. Uh, shoot, man, my daughter was playing soccer at five and a half months. So, all right, well, that's good. Well, hopefully, uh, you know, he has a good recovery and he's up and running as normal for for that. If uh, that happens as we expect it will, uh, similar to what Baker had last year, the spring game. All right, wrapping up with a little bit of basketball here. Um, who you were at the BOK Center on Saturday in Tulsa, Oklahoma played number nine Arkansas. The first half or so felt pretty similar to last year's Arkansas game, which was OU playing just above their skis. Um, under poor modes, they've done a pretty good job at playing up against good teams. We've seen that over his first couple seasons here. But in the end, Arkansas was just too good. Their defense was suffocating. Razorbacks win by 10 points. Um, Oklahoma, Grant Sherfield was great, but it feels like a, it feel, they feel like the same team in a lot of ways as last year, which is disappointing uh, at this point in the year, obviously. Yeah, I thought Sherfield was was special again. Um, twenty three points on the day. He shot eight of fourteen. Um, he, he's a guy that uh, they're they're gonna you know he was Big Twelve Player of the Week or Big Twelve Newcomer of the Week. Yeah, he's a guy that's gonna have to uh, carry them, just being able offensively to get shots because they are going to continue to struggle uh, at getting shots uh, just in general. But here's the deal, guys. Just looking at what Oklahoma did in the first half, they shot sixty two percent from the field. And they trailed by three points at halftime. And the reason they trailed by three points at halftime is everything dried up there at the end of the first half. It was like they couldn't get the ball in bounds. They couldn't uh, drive it to the basket like they have been because Arkansas long and, and athletic, arms everywhere. Arkansas cranked up the defense, and there was really nothing Oklahoma could do about it. The start of the second half was very much the same. Arkansas turned what, what had been a, a three-point, six-point deficit most of the first half. They turned that into like a 16-point uh, lead, you know, midway through the second quarter or second half. And like I said, there was nothing, they were imposing their will on OU and there was nothing OU could do about it. So yeah, this team's got a, got a ways to go before they can jump into big 12 play. It was a good little test, you know, playing a, a top 10 team from, from the sec, a good test. Uh, they've got a, what, one more Florida next week before they jump into big 12 play on, on new year's Eve against Texas. Yeah. I, Sherfield news on were good. Teams have shown that you can take away Sherfield, and this team is just dead in the water. They're just not very good. Uh, Porter Moser talks a lot about the depth and needing to develop that. The depth still isn't there. It Really, they got no help from anyone outside of really Bamisil off the bench. Uh, good for him to find his shot back. But like the good news is, is that this year, as you're frustrated with the depth, it's you're hoping that, um, you know, Bijan can continue to take steps forward as a sophomore. CJ Nolan, who was basically a no-show, if he can take steps forward as a sophomore, you're happy with Uzan as a freshman looking the way that he does. That's probably less frustrating than having a bunch of like essentially graduate transfers that can't figure out depth, things like that. But I this team is again, this game was more about Arkansas being really good than, than anything else. Arkansas can do that to a lot of teams. This is not a doom and gloom, but it just shows you that Oklahoma lacks the talent to kill off some of these games and I, all it does is reinforce what we kind of talked about last time or i talked about last time that it feels like this team is hurtling to the exact same spot which i mean it should have been expected because of porter Bowser having to recobble half of the roster in the transfer portal again because they couldn't hang on to guys yeah your spin zone here if there is one is that arkansas is, is damn good i mean that, that's a final four caliber team uh this year the Razorbacks are so not saying they will make it. There's a lot more than just four Final Four caliber teams, but they're really good. They, they're they going to be in the mix at the end of the year. So they hung around for a while, but they're not on that level right now. They're just not. So we'll see how that shakes out 
in due time. Joel Lenardi, which is hilarious that he's, he's doing it in December, but he does have bracketology out already. Does have Oklahoma in the tournament right now as a last four in, so that kind of lets you know where they are. They're, they're bubble team right now. And probably That's probably where they'll hang the whole year, and it'll come down to just one or two games like he did last year, and they were on the outside looking in. Maybe this year they'll find a way to win one more and get in. Who knows? We'll uh, obviously be covering that and following that all throughout the winter. As for the women, they hammered Robert Morris on Sunday at home. Fell down a spot in the AP poll, which is funny to me. Uh, the women's AP poll is proving to be ridiculous. <laughs> it's very volatile, apparently. They, they dropped the spot after winning. Big game for Liz Scott, who you kind of forget about as a senior on the team with all the other big names, you know, Maddie Williams and Taylor Robertson, you knew so all, all the players you know. She had a seven for eight from the field in that game, 16 points. They're kind of doing their thing. They, they're in this stretch, like we talked about a couple of times, where they're just playing a bunch of beatable teams at home right now before they get into meteor part of their schedule. So they're doing what they do. They're stacking wins. Uh, we're going to learn a lot more about this team soon, but another good, uh, strong performance at home. Looking forward to Big 12 play for these for these ladies um, to yeah. see if, uh, you know, their last year was surprisingly good. In Jenny Peronchik's first year, um, it brings everybody back, right? And second year, everybody's in the system again. So uh, the Big 12 is better this year than it was last year. I'd like to see. I, I think that's right, uh, based on some of the results we've seen so far this year. Uh, I'm eager to see what they do in conference play because that's where uh, that's where futures are made. Yeah, for sure. I I think that weirdly, one of the the huge positives getting through non-conference plays that Ana Yunusa still around and with the team and, and healthy and looking good. You know what I mean? That that was something that happened in the middle of uh, or early on really a non-conference play last year. And and I think for this team, you're, you're seeing they were able to work in a couple of freshmen that are getting some time. So I think there's going to be a little bit more depth. We've talked about it's largely the same team, but I think there's going to be a little bit more depth this year. So we'll be interested to see if that means that Oklahoma can, stay in that fight at the top of the big 12 longer this year, or um, cause, because they started out really strong, got into a position where it was like, Oh crap. They, they swept Baylor. If they could beat Texas and Iowa state, they might have an outside shot to win the regular season title. And then it, none of that fell their way. And so that, that for me is going to kind of be the measure of, are they able to take that next step to take that thing into the last weekend of beating the mix for uh, a one or two seed come, come conference tournament time. One last really tiny thing on the way out here, just if you guys had any reaction at all. Uh, NCAA did announce today the new president. It's going to be Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker taking over for Mark Emmert. Any reaction to that at all? <laughs> just kind of pump it in there here right at the very end. I don't know no, much congratulations. about him. Congratulations yeah. to Charlie Baker. Don't know much about him. I did see a quote that, hey, this guy loves a challenge. So guess what? <laughs> As a president of the NCAA, he's going to have a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just think it – telegraphs what the NCAA is moving toward, which is less enforcement, more just continue to beg our politicians to save them with rules and stuff as if we don't have like actual other things other than just like, hey, we got sports going on over here. Let's all grind the country to a halt to, to do sports at some of our most important places. So uh, and you've seen that, too, with Max Olson had the big transfer portal thing where basically he had said there was a, a, a prominent case of tampering where the school that felt their player was tampered with thought they had another school dead to rights and the NCA was just like well that sucks anyway so <laughs> I, I think it's just showing that the NCA is less and less enforcement we saw the Arizona stuff when you put that basketball when you put that next to what Oklahoma State got 
obviously an absolute just freaking joke for the NCAA. They're terrified of lawsuits and stuff like that. And so I think that for them, this was just the, we're just going to go all in on getting us a politician that has politician buddies to, to make the rules for us. Yeah. Yeah. I just saw something from Pete Thamel about the competency of Mark Emmert. That's got to be a good thing for Charlie <laughs> Baker. <laughs> he's got a, he's got a pretty low floor to step into. Low bar. Yeah, he's he's not he does not have big shoes to fill based <laughs> off the uh, previous regime. As long as he just my main leave March Madness alone, let it be what it is, keep it the same, don't change anything. If you do that, you'll have a okay approval rating from me. That's my that's my biggest because uh, people talk about maybe changing that thing. No, it's one of the very few things we have in life that is perfect. Leave it alone. So there you have it. That's our show. Thank you guys so much for watching as always and listening. We'll be back next week. I assume a Thursday show probably because signing day. Yep. That's exactly what I was just getting ready to say. Expect yeah. us uh, next Thursday because Wednesday signing day. They're going to have 23, 24, 25, however many they end up getting. Currently 24 committed, I think, or maybe 23, and there's another one or two coming in, in the next day or so. Yeah. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. National signing day uh, podcast exclusive next week. I get to come out of my long hibernation on the site because if you're wondering where has Ryan been, <laughs> wait until signing day. <laughs> no kidding, no kidding. It's going to be. Uh, we'll have lots there for you on allsoners.com. Um, you know, recaps about where all the guys, who they are, what they come from, highlights of all of them. That's all going to be there for you on allsoners.com. So keep up with us on signing day. Busy, busy day for us next Wednesday. So we'll be back next Thursday to recap that. Uh, signing day, latest transfer portal, latest basketball action, latest everything. You know the drill by now in the All Sooners podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back Thursday. You can catch that show on pod, uh, podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have an Amazon able device, just say Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. Let's post on our website, allsooners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer and watch the shows as well on whose YouTube page, John Hoover Media. That's it for us. For Ryan Chapman and John Hoover, I'm Josh Calloway. We'll catch you guys next time.